What is going on, my self-improvement friends? It is Brian Ford with Self-Improvement Daily. Take ownership of your personal development, one tip at a time. First off, let me just express how grateful I am that you're making the time to listen today. I truly am honored that you respect and support what I share, and I look forward to continuing on to the best of my ability. I'd love to hear from you. If you reach out to me at selfimprovementdailytips at gmail.com, I would love to chat. Anyway, all that aside, it's time for a self-improvement sit-down. Instead of diving into a two-minute, action-packed, personal development tip about a new approach or philosophy or mentality or exercise in the self-improvement space, we're taking the time to hear from an expert in her field. The short daily tips are great, and if you haven't heard them before, I highly recommend you give one a try. It'll only cost you two minutes of your time. But today is an interview you won't want to miss. It's an inspiring story from someone who's gone through a whirlwind journey, a lifetime of lessons, and a beautiful transformation. This is Self-Improvement Sit-Down number 20 with Sarah Spears. And we are live. Today's guest is Sarah Spears. Sarah has spent 10 years focusing on the psychology of eating, weight, and body issues. She's currently the Director of Behavioral Health at Premier Fitness Camp. She's been involved in groundbreaking research at elite institutions like Yale and UC San Diego and operates a private practice that integrates traditional modalities like cognitive behavioral therapy with energy healing modalities, which is said to be the future of medicine. There's way more to it than that, but that's a good place to start. Sarah, thank you for coming on to share with us today. Hi, thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be able to talk with you. I'm excited to be with you. And if I'm being honest, I actually kept the intro a little bit vague because I want to give one element of your experience the credit that it's due. And in my mind, it separates you as a practitioner. You're an expert on the subject, not only through your many years studying at elite institutions and in your practice, but also as someone who has personal experience with disordered eating and other unhealthy habits. And I'd love to hear a little bit more about that whole phase of your life and what you went through and where you are now and what does that time in your life mean to you and what did you learn about yourself? Yeah, absolutely. I did struggle with a variety of eating disorders, which I actually developed in my 20s, around the age of 25. Started off with some sort of obsessive compulsive tendencies around what to eat and how much to eat because I really was intending to just be as healthy as I could. And that very quickly led to me not getting enough nutrients and losing a lot of weight. And from that place started to experience urges to binge because I wasn't feeding myself nearly enough food and calories. And I started to engage in a cycle of binging and restricting and binging and restricting and was severely underweight and malnourished. And then very quickly that spiraled into binging and purging which led me to an eight-year battle with bulimia, which when I first started that struggle and it was pretty severe, I was binging and purging multiple times a day and was really stuck in this just horrible cycle and couldn't couldn't find a way out. And I had pledged that I was going to figure out how to heal myself so I could help other people struggling with their relationship with food or their eating habits or their body because I didn't want anyone to suffer the way that I had. And so that experience is really what catapulted me 
into my, my desire to go back to school and study therapy and get my master's and pursue becoming a licensed therapist so that I could really understand the psychology on a more complex level. Because one struggle with food for anybody who, who's there knows it's not just about food. And so that, that journey was really profound for me. And I grew tremendously, but I also learned now through my own experience what I think is really valuable to share with those people I work with. Totally. Yeah, no, I mean, thank you for sharing. And that's so interesting that your motivation actually came out of serving others rather than serving yourself. I think that's such an issue so many people have. Um, there's something I'm soon to release on the podcast, or it might be out by the time this comes out, which is treat yourself like someone you love. And it's this concept of why do we have expectations that are so different when it comes to treating ourselves? when we give other people credit, we give other people benefit of the doubt. And it really is this interesting dynamic. And like you said, this inner battle, this inner struggle that we we kind of all go through in one extent or another. Um, so it's really interesting that even the motivation to get out of a phase kind of as critical as this came from someone else. But outside of that motivation, kind of, you know, when you looked yourself in the mirror and kind of, I don't know, when you kind of gained some clarity on that process and the way that you were living your life, was there any one moment or kind of one component to it that stood out? You're like, wow, I, I, I can't keep living this way. Absolutely. or I I did. I had that moment and I will not forget it because I had I had been binging on an entire pizza and a like gallon of ice cream and I mm. remember literally forcing the pizza down my throat in pain trying to get every bite down and hating myself the entire way and then I was just as determined to throw it all up and there was this moment where the the pizza crust got stuck in my throat and I started to choke. And I was just in that moment realized like I'm going to kill myself. If I don't change, I am literally going to be found dead next to a toilet because I choked on food trying to throw it up. And I was horrified that that had become my reality. I couldn't fathom at how 25, when I had been a normal eater my entire life and never had struggled with food or eating, how this had become my reality. And that was the moment where I knew I had to make a change. Wow. Yeah. I mean, that that's just, that is a really eye-opening moment. And I'm sure, I mean, I'm sure it's, again, talk about motivation, like for you to kind of have that moment and realize that, okay, this is kind of the cycle or at least the progression that my life's taking that that would be really motivating to kind of jump out of that. Um, and it kind of, I want to go back to the cause because you said that, you know, kind of it started as a cycle of binging and restricting, then it turned into, you know, binging and purging. But yeah. you, you have uh, an interesting, actually, something you've shared that was really interesting was why restriction is actually such a bad thing for you and your health and how that is the beginning of the slippery slope. Can you kind of tell us how, you know, it starts the domino effect and how restriction really is that kind of that cause at the beginning? Yeah. And this was... I'm glad you asked that because this was something I didn't know at the time as a relatively educated individual. And we get information from a lot of different sources around healthy eating or follow this diet or follow this calorie plan. And I'm not commenting on what is or isn't right for somebody, but for my experience and with a lot of clients, when you have a severe enough calorie deficit for a long enough time, it creates the experience of artificial scarcity as far as your brain is concerned. So we have this animal brain designed for survival 
And as far as your animal brain is concerned, if you aren't getting enough calories and enough nutrients and fuel to sustain your body's functions, then it thinks there's a famine and there's a lack of food. And so it combats that with sending stronger signals for you to eat. And oftentimes it's for more foods that are high in fat and sugar because those are the foods that for our ancestors were necessary to put fat on the body for survival when we were in a famine. Hmm. That And then usually our um, more evolved brains respond to this panic around overeating with the rationalization, I should now make up for it by skipping a meal tomorrow or going on a juice cleanse or restricting again. But then that further provides evidence to your brain that, see, there's not enough food, right? And so we create a scarcity and a fear in in our mind, survival mind, that then sets us up for this binge purge cycle or a binge restrict cycle. Not everyone's predisposed to purge, but um, some folks are. Right. And that's really interesting, even talking about kind of what you referenced were cravings, right? If you get into the survival brain, then your brain's like, oh, you know, this is what my ancestors, this is what I'm designed to seek out. And then those are the foods we reach for, which then creates this kind of self-deprecation within the cycle too, that just amplifies it all going on. And I can see how it can kind of snowball out of control very quickly uh, if you don't take control of it. So thank you for explaining that. I thought, yeah, I think that's super fascinating. Um, Okay. And then kind of moving on and, you know, before we close the lid on your experience with eating disorder, and I guess it, um, I guess it does apply in some way. But there are many misconceptions, I'm sure, about eating disorder. You know, whether they're all the same or they all come from the same cause or root. But I guess if you could speak to both from experience and as a practitioner, kind of what what are those biggest misconceptions that you know someone like myself who hasn't dealt with eating disorder, um, what what is it important that I understand about it so that I can support others who have dealt with it? You know, I think when people hear eating disorder, they immediately think of anorexia or somebody who's severely underweight. And that is one category, and that's a very severe condition that really requires medical treatment. But I'd say for most people, you can't look at someone and see somebody who's struggling with an eating disorder. When I had bulimia, I was normal weight. I work with a lot of clients who struggle with binge eating disorder, who struggle with weight and are overweight. But a lot of people I work with who struggle with binge eating disorder never realized it was a disorder because there's sort of a normalization around overeating or emotionally eating even. We see it in movies. Um, It's sometimes something that we celebrate or we go out with friends with the intention of like eating as many wings as we can and going to the all-you-can-eat buffet. And so a lot of times our eating tendencies that could be disordered are normalized or masked as acceptable when really they are wreaking havoc on our body and our minds and our overall wellness. So I think that's probably one of the biggest points that I would want to convey um, for anybody who's maybe struggling with food and eating is that if you're preoccupied with food and eating, if it's causing you distress, if there's shame and guilt around it, those are indications that you know your eating habits are, are probably leaning towards needing to seek some sort of help or work on improving that relationship. Good. That's awesome. And I'm, I'm glad that you actually brought in some people that you're helping, you know, kind of more on the professional side of the equation, because that's where I want to move into next. The mission statement that's on your website reads, reclaim yourself and your life back from the food, eating and body issues that have been consuming your mind, controlling your life and keeping you from your desired health and happiness. And that's almost exactly what you just touched on at the end of that. 
And what you've done is you've distilled this process into the five bodies of health, which are physical, mental, emotional, energetic, and spiritual, which together create this individualized roadmap to total wellness. Would you mind touching on those different five bodies of health and how we can improve our relationship in each of those areas? Yeah, I'd love to. And I I appreciate that you said an individualized roadmap because the way I think of the five bodies of health and any person's journey towards improving their relationship with food eating in their body is similar to somebody who is trying to work out or get fit. Um, There's lots of different workouts and approaches that or diets that work for different people and everybody's body is different. And so what one roadmap will look for one person with the five bodies of health is going to vary person to person. But usually every single component needs to be looked at and addressed to truly achieve that total holistic wellness and find that place of freedom that you're striving for. So the physical aspect is sort of what we talked about, which is really just what are the health choices and health habits that I'm making and how are they affecting my physical body? What am I eating? How am I moving my body? What does my sleep look like? Um, maybe substance use, those sorts of factors. And what is the toll on the physical body and the physical health? For me, because I wasn't eating enough food, the physical toll was I activated that that starvation mode, which contributed to changing the chemicals in my body and how my systems were operating. So you want to start there. And then the next level is looking at your mind and mindset. Like I also talked about, we have lots of ways that we talk to ourselves, <laughs> and you talked about this too. We're very hard on ourselves, very strong inner critic. And usually I see this in a lot of times with people with eating. There's so much pressure that we put on ourselves to lose weight or to follow this diet perfectly. And if we don't adhere to a plan the way we wanted to, then we'll say, oh, what the heck? Because I messed up, I'm just going to eat whatever I want. Mm-hmm. Or we'll tell ourselves, this isn't working, so I'm just going to like not bother to go to the gym anymore. Um, there's lots of rationalizations and excuses. Sometimes it's all start tomorrow, which was one of my favorites. I would tell myself, okay, tomorrow I'm never going to binge. I'm never going to purge again, and I'm never going to eat sugar again. It was very extreme talk and thinking. And then I would tell myself, and because of that, I'm going to go get like as much of my favorite goodies as I possibly can. I'm just going to have one last binge and purge. Mm -hmm. And I can't tell you, Brian, how many times I did that and said that and convinced myself through my thinking. And so we really want to look at what's your thought process? How is it hurting you or contributing to poor food choices or an unhealthy relationship with food and your body? And how can we start to create more adaptive and healthy thinking styles that are going to lead you towards healthier choices? Yeah. Why do you think that is? Because I I can think of so many examples in my life when I've just been like, oh, I'm already ruined it for the day. I'm just going to refocus up and kind of start fresh tomorrow. It's like, why why do you think like, well, I guess evolutionarily, maybe what what kind of short mindedness or kind of delayed gratification are we searching or, you know, kind of applying in our lives? Because it really is present across all facets of our life. And it's just it is really damaging, especially if it's it's inducing poor behaviors that you're trying to get rid of. You know, do you have any opinion on that? Yeah, that's one of the biggest challenges that I encounter with myself and people I work with. And just like we have eating habits, we have habits of thinking. I think a lot of that is just how we grew up, but a lot of times it's a self-soothe mechanism. So, mm. or 
um, we self-sabotage to protect ourselves. So if I choose to eat a bunch of cookies, then I don't feel like as much as a failure because it was my choice. I ended up making the choice not to follow the diet anymore. And sometimes that can feel um, like a protection from even greater disappointment if you know, I mess up and eat one cookie and I don't reach my goals that's frustrating. So I might as well like really mess up or sabotage. And it's a backwards way of thinking. Totally. Totally. It goes back to that kind of that cycle of making a mistake up front and then trying to do what's soothing in the moment. So then you make an additional choice yeah. and then you kind of start getting into that self-deprecating cycle of like, oh man, like I did it again, but like next time it's going to be all different. And then you go overboard and you're too ambitious. That's not sustainable, yeah. which drives you back to your soothing mechanism. And it just reinforces that cycle. I mean, I'm sure that's the same cycle or sounds like the same cycle as the binging yeah. restriction exactly. um, as it's going through. Man, we are just living this life with our brains just taking over. Like we didn't even know this is going on. On autopilot. Yeah, it's the unconscious is running the show. Yes. Seriously. And that actually, as you were talking about, the soothing mechanism really leads perfectly into the third body of health, which is emotions. And as you just said, like what I'm thinking, if I think I fail, then I'm really frustrated. That creates an emotion. So there's an emotional response to the thoughts we have about ourselves and our environment and our situations. And those emotions, if we don't know, if we're first of all, not mindful or aware of the emotions that we're experiencing, and most of us aren't, I think this is a universal problem, at least in our country, is there's a lack of emotional awareness because we're so quick to self-soothe and that becomes an automatic response. But if you can recognize what you're feeling, for most of us, we've learned how to self-soothe often with food. And so being able to recognize what am I feeling that's causing me to want to eat? Oh, I'm frustrated with myself that I didn't follow this diet perfectly and now I'm soothing with food. Then you can respond to the emotions in more effective ways. And so learning effective emotion regulation skills is crucial in starting to, to change this behavior and pattern. Yeah, that's kind of interesting. That kind of that just fits into the culture of today's society where everything needs to be on demand and quick fixes. And, you know, like we don't have the patience to go through the whole process to then kind of figure out what we think. We just try and we're like autocorrect really, really quick up front. And we're doing that, you know, soothing or coping mechanism that's that seems convenient at the time, but it's actually kind of rooted in the wrong, you know, in the wrong ways. Yes. And I think maybe that's it sounds like it stems from the subconscious and kind of our emotional uh, piece of it. Right. And we have a hard time feeling uncomfortable. Like it doesn't feel nice. So we want something that mm -hmm. feels good. And for many people, food, because there is, you know, when you're eating, it does release neurotransmitters that make you feel good. So there is a real, a very real soothing that takes place, but it's short lived. So when you're done eating, what happens is the initial pain or feeling that was there is still present, plus your level of frustration at yourself for eating bad again, right? So you, it doesn't actually solve the problem. It ends up usually creating more problems. Hmm. And then kind of something that you've mentioned along the vein of this emotional body of health is also being in an invalidating environment and how as a child, you begin developing these tendencies just based on some of the, like the nature of the way that you were raised. Would you mind touching on kind of that component and how invalidation can, I mean, it's a great example of the cascade that can kind of occur. Would you mind going through that? Yes. And it's usually not intentional at all, but 
we have oftentimes very confusing messages growing up about what we're feeling. So, a lot, you know, a classic example is boys are told that they shouldn't cry. They have to be strong, toughen up. Girls are often told you shouldn't be angry or even just well-meaning parents. If they see their child upset and they want them to feel better, they'll say, don't cry. It's okay. Like, look, and we try to make them happy which bypasses the opportunity to let them name and feel the emotion fully. So for a child who feels sad and mom or dad says, don't cry, the next time they feel sad and have the urge to cry, well, they thought they were wrong for showing that emotion. So they look for a new way to Mm self-soothe. And so at a very young age, kids um, will start to look for means outside of themselves to regulate those emotions. And it can lead to maladaptive um, approaches, if not addressed correctly with parents or authority. Yeah, so interesting. And it's so true. I mean, you can just see like, because a lot of these theories and you can you can think of kind of like really detailed tactics or, you know, but that's just a very logical kind of thing to happen. You don't realize how it's projecting in the future, you know, because it, like you said, I mean, well-intentioned parents, that sounds like the right thing to do. Like, oh, my, my son or daughter's upset. Of course, I want to make them feel okay. But you don't realize how that's setting them up in a certain way. And just, again, goes to the complexity of the brain and how we process things. It, it, I, th- I thought that was a really interesting example. Yeah. And it's really important for any parents listening that parents start to become comfortable with feeling and expressing their emotions and holding space to help their children identify what they're feeling and find ways for that to be okay and to process those emotions. So you know, I think that's a really valuable way to prevent long-term challenges like eating disorders. Beautiful. Oh, thank you. Okay. And then fourth is energetic. What, what is yeah, up, what is up with exactly. this is your, energy? Exactly. This is your favorite. It's, it is my favorite. Oh, yeah. I just love Let's it because it. I honestly think, um, I think the last two bodies of health are often missing links to people's wellness journeys and really achieving um, the state of health and happiness that they desire. We're all made entirely out of energy. Your body is an energy body. We have energy systems. That's not woo-woo. That is backed by science. You'll, you can see an EKG You know, if you need proof that you're made of energy. And if that energy stops flowing, you cease to live. So I think that's pretty safe to say. And what happens is our bodies, um, emotions, thoughts, urges to eat, these are all forms of energy and electrical impulses moving through the body. And what can happen is a lot of times we can have energy imbalances, um, energy blockages that can create disruptions in the way that our body is functioning. Hmm. So it'd be the same if you think of a house with electricity. You know, If there's a wire that short circuits, you might not have electricity or lights that go on. And so with energy work and energy medicine, we're looking at how the energy body is functioning and just removing imbalances, which could stem from if an emotion is repressed. You know, this is another reason it's important to learn how to process your feelings. But a lot of times emotions, which are energy and motion, will get stuck in the body. And a lot of times we can feel that, like we're carrying around a heaviness or this stress or tension in our body. And when you can actually release that, it immediately feels like a weight is lifted and the body starts to function better and then you feel better because you're tapping into the body's innate ability to to work and heal itself. So it sounds like the energy to some extent is actually presented in your other modalities, you know, such as your physical, mental, emotional state, um, you know, because it, it can't really, I mean, my understanding of it, I guess, is that you can't 
touch someone and feel that their energy's off, right? It has to get out and be expressed somehow. And maybe it's coming out in those other ways. Did I understand that right? In terms of like my eating or emotions or thoughts, is that what you mean? Oh, just, well, just as you mentioned that someone has an energy imbalance, you know, it's like, I, I, how do you diagnose an energy imbalance, I guess is my question. Yeah, that's a great question. And, and I wouldn't say that you would diagnose, I would say energy hygiene to me is the same as any hygiene. It's just daily self-care practices. It's recognizing that I have to tend to taking care and preserving my energy. And that could be something as simple as going outside and spending time in nature, which can help me recharge. That's recognizing when you're giving too much of your energy to other people and you feel like they're draining or taking your energy. Um, That could be, for me, one of the, the practices that I love is using different techniques like Reiki or something like emotional freedom technique, which help to literally tune up or open up your energy channels and give you kind of that jump start, right? Like a mechanic would help jump your car. And so there's different practices that are really fun to learn and implement once you understand how energy is affecting um, how you're feeling. Cool. Well, let's get into it because we've had a conversation about this before, but I'm curious to learn more about some of those practices. You mentioned Reiki and EFT, energy freedom technique. What What's the philosophy behind those kind of, you know, as you're delivering this for your patient, you know, kind of what what is happening? You know, if you could explain it. Yeah, well, they're different, but with emotional freedom technique, and this is an evidence-based technique that's going to fuse somatic with cognitive processes. And so just like with Chinese medicine and acupuncture, they use these meridian points that are connected to your energy meridian to help move the chi or life force through your body. With tapping, we actually just stimulate the points with the fingers. And there's nine points on the body that we tap connected to the energy meridians. And the intention is to identify like I had said, if you go back to the other bodies of health, if you're thinking a thought and it makes you feel bad or some negative energy or emotion in your body and that were to get stuck, you might be feeling sad all day or maybe all week. You know, sometimes things happen in the past and it's like, just get over it. But you think about it or you talk about it and you feel this emotional charge still that's alive inside of you. Well, that's an indication that energy is stuck. And so when we start to identify what are you thinking and feeling that's creating some form of distress and start tapping on the points, it actually opens up the energy channels and allows that stuck emotional energy to just flow out of the body. And people experience very rapid relief of symptoms. Um, Science is now showing that tapping a single session might reduce cortisol levels in the body by up to 24%. So it's a really great stress management tool and way to help just relax and rebalance your body's energy system. And it's cool because it's been applied to all sorts of conditions. There are studies showing its efficacy with anxiety, PTSD, depression, eating, food addiction, and even a recent study um, with how people's brains are responding to food, showing that tapping was changing the way the brain is firing and wiring in response to visual food cues. So there's a lot. um, I think, you know, you said energy medicine is the future, and I think science is going to continue to show how techniques such as this are really valuable and literally changing, not just our energy system, but also how the brain is working, which is exciting. Yeah. And, you know, as I mentioned, I mean, this is the first that I'd heard of it was my first conversation with you. And I'm sure I'm not the only person listening to this that can relate to that. And it it is very interesting because, I mean, like you said, you know, people might have the impression of it being kind of woo woo or, you know, not backed in science, but 
it sounds like just more and more and more it's going to continue to be adopted and something that people are comfortable with which i think i mean i haven't tried it myself but i mean hearing the results that you get i think it's extremely valuable and i can't wait to both experience it myself and also see the results in other people yeah and at the very least it's a good tool to have in the toolbox totally i just think anything that that can help you feel better in a moment of panic or distress is is worth learning. And it's really a nice because it can be something that you can apply to yourself. So you can work with a practitioner for more deeper uh, issues, but you can also just apply it on your own, which is great. Mm -hmm. And that's why it's in the five bodies of health, right? If it's a toolbox that is part of your total wellness plan, your individualized roadmap, then of course, this is going to be one of the components that you can use. And if you want to have that balanced across all five disciplines, then, you know, you have to address the energetic side, which is incredible. And thank you for the education, because yeah. that really is something that I wasn't aware of. And if I could give one metaphor to make it quick, and then I'll share the last one is like, I often equate it to if you went to the doctors and he showed you an x-ray of your chest, and let's say you had developed a lung tumor, the doctor can explain why it got there and what you need to do moving forward to to take care of yourself so you don't continue to develop illnesses. But the doctor would go in and physically remove the tumor. And so for me, tapping is like energetic surgery mm. where you can just remove emotional wounds that you might have accumulated over your lifetime. So that's sort of a, a way that you can think of it. That definitely brings it all together. No, that's awesome. Yeah. Thank you. Okay. And then we're getting into the last one, the fifth and final one spiritual. So the spiritual body of health, tell us about it. Yeah, it's really important. I, for myself, hadn't realized part of what contributed to my eating disorder is I was so disconnected from myself, from the truth of who I was. And I felt like my inner light had just been extinguished, right? And so it doesn't even really matter what your religious background is or what you believe in. But this is about coming back into living your truth and your purpose. Because if you aren't, if you don't have authentic connection, if you don't have genuine love and acceptance in your life from others or yourself, if you don't feel like you're making a meaningful contribution or using your gifts and your talents to contribute to the world, that creates what I call soul holes. And it's just this void and this pit inside of us. And a lot of times we eat, I did, as a way to try and fill the holes. Okay, but a hole in the soul cannot be filled with food. It can't be filled with substances. It can't be filled with anything but actually taking action to do those things that truly, truly make you feel alive inside. And so this is about coming back into alignment with really, truly who you are and a greater power that's maybe guiding you on this path. Yeah. And that's important because as you mentioned, you know, find alignment, your mission, your passion, your purpose, meaning, you know, buzzwords kind of like that. I mean, they're all very important. But it's all relative, you know, like one person's passion or meaning or the way that you perceive their success and the way that they live their life, that is completely independent of you and your path or someone else's, you know, someone you care about. And I think that is a really dangerous game, especially as we're talking about the spiritual body of health, is that we compare our own spiritual relationship to that that other people are experiencing. And once we do that, we start finding, like you said, those soul holes that we feel like we need to fill when in reality, we are actually creating that hole because it doesn't apply for us. And now we're trying to point at it and make it a bigger deal uh, than it is. Yes. Yeah. And then we create bigger holes. <laughs> yeah. And no one needs that. No, this is the five bodies of health. No. We're trying to, this is total wellness. Come on. Come on, people. Yeah. Yes. We're filling the holes, <laughs> making you whole and complete again. <laughs> 
Beautiful. All right. This is this has been awesome, Sarah. Um, can you tell us a little bit more about what you're working on and kind of how people can learn more about what you do? Yeah, absolutely. Well, they can always find me online. My website's sarahspears.com. You can always check out Premier Fitness Camp if you're looking for um, sort of a holistic mind-body transformation. Um, And in the coming year, I'm definitely planning to to create a few different online programs and possibly retreats even for individuals struggling um, with their eating, weight, and body issues. And for anybody who's curious about the five bodies of health and maybe learning what specifically is underlying your challenges, um, they can um, go to my website and take a quiz that I've created, which helps you identify specifically for you which areas really need to be addressed. And that can be found at sarahspears.com forward slash quiz. So that's a great resource that I encourage anyone to, to go get. And then um, you can just follow me on Instagram or uh, social media. Perfect. I'll have everything linked. Yeah, I highly suggest people check out that quiz. That's an awesome way to really, first of all, kind of digest the information that's been shared and then see how it's been applied in your life throughout all this time. I think it's a really eye-opening experience. And then the way that I like ending these and And it's always interesting because I have my own highlights that I've kind of been synthesizing in my mind. But for you, is there one major takeaway or kind of highlight that you want to express and make sure really lands home with everyone listening? If, you know, if there's one thing people remember, what's kind of the most important thing about this entire conversation? Great question. More than anything, I want people to know that no matter what you're dealing with, it is possible to pull yourself out of that funk and take charge of your health and control of your health and wellness as long as you know what steps to take. And part of my purpose of going through my journey was to make it easier for other people so you're not stumbling in the dark. So it's hopefully that people leave feeling inspired knowing that there is a roadmap and there is a way that you can start right now today to feel better and you don't have to be stuck in this forever. That's beautiful. And that's actually a really good point because yes, this entire conversation was centralized around eating and you know healthy habits on kind of that side, but it really does apply across a bunch of different domains in life. And while we didn't use examples in those domains, if you kind of really think about your life and kind of these different five bodies of health and how they might relate to just different things that you're dealing with, then this really is a holistic approach rather than an individualized kind of eating habit uh, approach. So I'm glad that you highlighted that. Yeah. I find it really is underlying uh, really anything. Yeah. Issues with substances, anxiety, depression, you name it. Addressing these areas is is going to yield positive results for you for sure. Totally. Well, I appreciate you mentioning that. It just goes to show how you have everyone's best intention or kind of uh, best hopes in mind. And no, I appreciate you making the time to chat today and I look forward to more. It was my absolute pleasure. Thank you so much. There you have it, Miss Sarah Spears. I'm feeling a little extra grateful today for Sarah's story and her willingness to share. I know that what she's gone through, a lot of people can relate to, and we're so lucky to have her as a resource. A great place to start is the Five Bodies of Health quiz at sarahspears.com quiz. But if you're looking for some general guidance, Sarah's Instagram handle is at Sarah underscore Spears, Spears, S-P-E-E-R-S. As for the conversation, man, there's a lot to pick apart. For me, the parts that stand out are hearing the details about Sarah's history with disordered eating 
and understanding what it was and how powerful it is. Then jumping into the five bodies of health, physical, mental, emotional, energetic, and spiritual, with extra interest on those last two, as I believe they're underrated in our lives. I really enjoyed this interview and hope you did too. In fact, if you did, I'd really appreciate if you write a review and subscribe. Your support means the world to me. Well, we're back at it tomorrow. Another great week of tips. Thank you so much for listening, and I will see you then on Self-Improvement Daily.